If you have your Bibles, turn to James. We're in the New Testament again. We've left Habakkuk and we're into James. But the nice thing about this week is James dovetails nicely from where we went in Habakkuk. And so I want to start it off by giving you a couple principles I've learned in my life. And now you're going to laugh at them. The military has six Ps. Uh, I'm going to narrow them down to five just because I care about women and children. All right. Uh, it, it, the five Ps in military doctrine are prior planning prevents poor performance. I've deleted one. Prior planning prevents poor performance. So that's the five Ps. Today, I want to give you four Ps. I'm going to make it real simple for you. I'm going to give you four Ps on how to deal with stress, how to deal with stress. Isn't that exciting? Is anyone stressed in this room? What is stress? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Isn't that Corinthians versus to be played here right now somewhere? I'm just messing with her. Uh, Kelsey wants to know what stress is after having a kid. I think she knows. Yeah, you get it now. All right. <laughs> she gets it now. But James is written by the brother, or if you would, the half-brother of Jesus. So Mary and Joseph had a son. His name was James, so it was Jesus' brother. And in verse 1, it starts off uh, real just simply, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. Really simple. So he says, James, he doesn't go, hey, I was the brother of Jesus, so you've got to listen to me. He said, James, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the 12 tribes who were dispersed, or the diaspora, as it, as it so goes. That means it's all the 12 tribes outside who were sent out outside of the land of Palestine. So this letter was written to a people who were scattered. In Galatians 1.19, writing of James, Paul says, But I saw no one of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So um, James, being Jesus' brother, he was writing to these group of people who were scattered. And so uh, they had significant issues to deal with. But my intent on the four Ps, and I'm going to start this in a minute, is that we will learn God's purpose and plan for us in dealing with stress. That we will have God's blueprint for dealing with difficult times. And so where do I start with that? I go to an old hymn. Some of you might know this. I'm not going to sing it. Many of you are going to be glad about that. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. So the writer here, he's talking about God and God's faithfulness. And, and we, I think, as a church, would agree mostly that God is faithful, yes? We, we mostly agree. And, and, and actually, it sort of comes off my, it doesn't roll off of my tongue. I know it in principle, but sometimes in practice, it, it, it oozes.
oozes out of my mouth if I really think what I'm saying when God is faithful. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Everything's good. That's not always the case. And so um, what I want, and we're going to begin our first P, if you would, would, pursue positivity. Pursue positivity. Now, this isn't a, um, you know, just make yourself feel good and act like everything's fine and just smile and grin and bear it. This is not what the Bible's saying here. So in verse 2, it starts off and it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Everyone just say amen to that. Yeah, count it all joy when your car breaks down. Yeah, count it all joy when friends desert you. Yeah, count it all joy when the check bounces you are dependent on. Count it all joy when you lose your job. Count it all joy when things don't go according to your plan. Count it all joy when the schedule gets changed. Count it all joy when your professor stinks. That was personal. Uh, count, count it all joy. <laughs> I don't think he's listening to my sermons. If so, I'm in trouble. Uh, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Verse 3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we, in verse um, one, it talks about it, trial and testing. And someone, some people have difficulty with that. So a trial can be viewed as an outward trial or a, something that happens externally from you that happens to you or the process of testing or they can denote an inner enticement to sin, a temptation that you have or uh, being tempted. So an external force is a trial, something that's come outside of you that you have no control of that comes. It's a trial. A temptation is something inward. Out of our inward parts, James talks about every bit of problems happen. We sort of devise our strifes with one another from the inside. So trials and testings produce steadfastness. Steadfastness means this. It means remaining under, remaining under. The picture is a person lifting something heavy and holding on to it. So in the King James, the, the terminology is used as patience. The trying of your faith work at patience. That means just sort of bearing with someone else. Endurance or steadfastness means holding the weight and getting stronger from it. So I want you to picture a bodybuilder or a, a climber, or someone that's working out, or a marathon person. They are pushing and straining to get better. An athlete, right? You, you don't just, or a guitar player or an instrument player, you don't just play and your fingers get sore and you stop. You keep playing. That's when you know you're playing well. You know, if you're, if you're lifting weights, you just don't keep lifting the 10-pound dumbbells. You might start there. And if you're 90, you might stay there, and God bless you for doing it. But generally, you want to do it and stay under the weight to get your muscles set, to grow stronger, right? So steadfastness, the testing of your faith, creates this remaining under to build up what God has planned for you. So we have to go to that 
positivity and then that trust in God. Great is thy faithfulness. So we want to embrace and pursue positivity and just go, look, it doesn't feel good right now, but I'm going to trust God that it is good, that it is all going to work, everything is going to work according to his plan and purpose. It's going to be letting go of the things that I've clinged to and trusting God with it because we said all together as a church, great is thy faithfulness, right? God is steadfast. He's truthful, all that. And so James has given us this letter to get ready to do our prior planning to prevent poor performance when stress comes. Now, I want to encourage you a little bit. This doesn't mean that any of us are going to do this perfectly. So just take a sigh of relief. This doesn't mean that we are going to encounter everything. You know, I think there was an idealist point in me that I felt like I could get to a certain place, not that I was sinless, but I could handle every situation pretty good. Well, let me just tell you that didn't work out. I don't know if any of y'all identify with that at all. You know, but I, I feel like the sanctification work in God with us is to keep us under the weight under and became, become steadfast so that we place our trust in the Lord. Because truly, he is the spotter, if you want to go in weightlifting terms. He is the one that is either going to let that bar drop on you, which isn't pleasant, or he's going to be the one that eases the burden when we are unable to do so. So, um, James 1.4 says, And let have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, right? That is the desired outcome, that we would be more and more and more like Jesus Christ, that we would be more faithful like God is faithful, that we would be steadfast under trials like God is steadfast under trials, that we might be perfect and complete. So the benefits of testing come only to believers who respond to them in the right way. So there's many in this room that you might go, hey, Eric, I have been tested, and I pushed through it. My question to you would be, did you just get through it, or were you sanctified by it? Did you survive, or did you thrive? Did you flourish under the burden, or did you just Get by enough to make it and say you got past it. It is only the believer who responds to them in the right way that Christ allows, that we allow in the endurance to have its perfect work through it. So allowing God, who we say is faithful and we trust him, to work in us, then our attitude has to be one of pursuing positivity. Lord, this is in your hands. I said this last week, I believe, but the biggest growth for me in faith is letting go and trusting God with it. Just letting him go, letting go. I can't control it. He's got it. I don't understand it. He's got it. I've got to pursue him and trust him, but ultimately I have to be positive about the situation because God has allowed this to happen to me. You tracking with me on that? You know, so positivity is such that we embrace God and what he has done for us in the past. Um, 
The, the idea of complete, so it says perfect and complete, means that um, it's an idea of wholeness and soundness. It's not perfection, but it's just that we are a whole, in the, uh, we are underneath God's wings, that we are his children, his sons and daughters, that we're at peace under the thickest of storms. It is a wholeness that comes. But this wholeness requires the second P. It requires wisdom. So we want to secondly pursue wisdom. So James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, anyone here, there? And nobody? Okay, there's three or four. Thank you, Austin. If you didn't raise your hand, Rob was going to smack you. Um, and, <laughs> I'm going to knock that hat right off your head. <laughs> uh, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. That's good news. But it says we need to pursue it. If you lack it, you need to ask for it. And it doesn't just mean, like I used to think, God, just give me wisdom in general. Give me wisdom for this situation that I have no answer to. And pray that. God, I need wisdom Generally, yes, but I need wisdom for this right now. And maybe take it in your journal and write it down and say, God, I've done it. I had this Bible software called Lagos, and in it, it has a prayer journal, and I can write prayer requests in it, and it has a box that I can check answered, and I can write sort of follow-ups to it. And there are things that I've got on there that have been in there for a while that haven't taken place that I just put there and I look over and I pray for and I say, God, give me wisdom to this. And if there's nothing I can do about it, if there's no wisdom to be had, it's releasing it in faith to God. Say, God, this is yours. So we need to pursue wisdom. Proverbs 2.6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives wisdom. So he's ready to give. He's ready to be a blessing. I think the biggest thing about this is that we come to him like a child comes to their father or their mother. We come to their desiring of him and say, Lord, would you, uh, would you give me wisdom for this? And God just wants to lavish that blessing on you. If any of you have had a child do that and just ask for something that's legit before, you know, not the, the, the dumb stuff per se, but when, when they, they're looking for wisdom or they're looking for direction and they come to you, do you go, nope, can't give it to you now. You're going to burn just like I did on that situation. Is that how y'all do it as parents? No, right? But when they come to you and they want to know and they seek it, then you give freely. You give joyously because you want them to avoid the pitfalls that happen to you. And that is real important for us. So pursuing wisdom means going to the source of it. That's the Lord. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not oppose that he will receive, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So it says that we need to ask in faith, not doubting. You're saying, Lord, I know that you'll give me wisdom here. I'm just going to trust you with this. 
Double-minded means you're just not coming to him halfway. You're not just coming to him, maybe you're gonna do this, but you just believe that he is gonna bring you through it. Even if you don't get the answers in faith that he is gonna guide you through it. But if you're double-minded, if you come to God with sort of like plan A and plan B and say, God, if you do this, then I'm gonna do this, and if you don't, then I'm gonna do this, that's backwards. We need to come to him confident in what he has for us and listening to him. So wisdom is a means by which the godly Christian people can both discern and carry out the will of God. Hear that. Wisdom for his people is the able, being able to discern and carry out the will of God. Wisdom doesn't necessarily mean getting you out of trouble. Do you hear the difference? I think a lot of times we ask God for wisdom to get us out of trouble. And that might, he might give us that. But the kind of wisdom that we're seeing here is coming to God in advance as the situation presents itself or before the situation presents itself and saying, God, I want to have discernment to do your will. I want to have wisdom to do your will, not my will. And that's a hard thing, isn't it? It's again, it's releasing. It's just releasing, letting go. So we need to seek after the wisdom that we can carry out the will of God with. So we want to pursue positivity. We want to pursue wisdom. Thirdly, we want to pursue humility. Pursue humility. Everyone good with that one? James 1.9 says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltations. So James is writing a letter here to the tribes that are out there. That, and he's writing this letter. This isn't like a theological treatise. It's, it's a letter. It's pieces of information that are going out to specific people. So one of the things that the people were suffering with I believe, and theologians believe that were, he wrote this letter, were people who were in deep poverty. They had nothing. Those, those Israelites, Jewish people who were scattered out, they didn't have much. And so he's writing them, and he says, let the lowly brother or sister boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. First Timothy 6, 9 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and direction. Just hear that warning. So initially James says, the poor, the lowly should boast in their exaltation. They should boast in God, that God has made them a son or daughter in Christ. Boast in that. It doesn't matter what my bank account says. I'm just going to boast in Jesus. And that's what it's saying. Boast in Jesus Christ. Boast that you're in right relationship with him. Boast that he has got your back and he's got your front. He surrounds you completely. Boast in that. But he warns those who chase after riches. And he says pretty much what I think many of us are beginning to know if you've got any gray hair in your head is that our time is limited. Our time is limited. Time just clips 
on by. Steph and I, you were talking about that. We were talking about that earlier. Years. Just like that. And it's warning here that if you spend your time pursuing riches or what you can attain, that before long, as with all of us, that will pass away. And Timothy reminds us that falling into that temptation, again, being rich is not bad, but being driven by it is, that desires and plunges people into ruin and destruction. That's a hard word. We talk about wanting to pursue God's truth and hear his word. His word is saying if you're pursuing these things and that's all your heart is driven by, that you're going to find ruin and destruction. Ruin and destruction. James 1.11 says, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers with the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away into the midst of his pursuits. Y'all ever bought a new car? Some of you haven't, I know. Any ever bought a new car? You, just, you, know, you know that smell, right? Man, you drive that puppy off the lot. We bought a 2018 Kia, and it had leather seats in it, has leather seats in it. And you get in that thing, and it just smells good. It's all clean, you know. It's just like there's no dirt anywhere. There's no coffee stains inside the coffee mug holder. I know none of y'all have that there. You know, there's no dirt inside um, all everywhere, and it's just like it's perfect. I remember I drove home from Felton in this new car that had XM radio, I think is what it's called, Sirius XM, and I'm listening to 80s tunes, I'm sorry, you have to forgive me, I'm listening to 80s hip hop, and I'm digging it, the bass is kicking, and I'm just going home, right, and it's just like, this is awesome, new car, you know, and I'm getting, you know, Laura's following me because she was afraid to drive it at first, and, I, and I'm just like, I'm just kicking it, sunroof open, loud, playing, I'm just like, yeah, new car. Well, this yesterday, I'm sitting in this car that's not even a year old. Dust all over the windshield. Bird crap. <laughs> Coffee stains. Trash. Bottles of stuff rolling in the back of the trunk that make noises when I make turns. And all the joy of driving home that nut day from Felton to here was replaced by a vehicle that's going to die sometime with coffee stains, bird crap, and dirt, and leaves, and stuff that just creates another thing for me to clean because I just feel like it needs to be clean. It drives me nuts. It perishes and it fades. And I think we have to remind ourselves of those things. I know I have to. When it comes time to buy something else, the newest, best thing. And, and let me just say, young people, adults are good at justifying stuff. 
I almost said this, the, what the birds did on the, the sea. They're good at justifying stuff. And if you follow suit with us, you will justify purchasing something you can't afford and, and making payments that drown you and create stress and, and create tension in the home just to have something new that lasts for about a month and it feels good. And I go to that 80s song, it feels good. You know, it just feels really good for a moment. See, I told you all didn't want me to sing. Stop it, Donna. Some of y'all know that song, right? I sort of pulled it off. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, James 1.11, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers with the grass, its flower falls and beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Go ahead and pursue your will. Go ahead and pursue the next best thing. Go ahead and pursue it because it's ultimately going to rust. It's ultimately going to fade away. Or it's going to look like our forsythia bush. Do we have a forsythia bush? You see how green thumb I am. There's this beautiful bush that blooms with these bluish purple bulb. Hydrangea. <laughs> Forgive me, you green thumb people. I looked yesterday, and I'm walking by, and I'm like, whoa, it's beautiful. But I remember last year, it's beautiful for a season, and then it dies. And then, much like the bird stuff, it's everywhere. Or you have to pull it off the tree, and its beauty fades. We cannot get caught up in the things to attain and in doing so, you trust God and you become humble. And you realize that things aren't going to give you joy. They're not going to provide you peace. Frankly, they're going to add to the things you have to take care of and the things you have to clean and the things you have to license and register and permit and title and all that stuff. And you'll start to lose pleasure in it. God talks about this from the beginning. When fall comes, this is a product of the fall. So we need to pursue humility. First thing we need to do is pursue what? Positivity. Count it all joy, right? Count it all joy. Pursue positivity. Pursue wisdom. Pursue humility. Good. Last one. It's a fun one. Let's pursue blessing. Pursue blessing. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man and woman who remain steadfast under trial. What does steadfast mean? Right? Under the weight. Remaining steadfast under it. You don't run when things get bad. You don't check out when things don't work your way. You don't pick your ball up and run when things aren't going the way you think it should be. That you remain steadfast. You follow after God. You seek wisdom. You seek counsel. You reconcile. You remain steadfast. And it says that you are blessed. Isn't that what we want as Christians? God's blessing? Yes? Maybe you all don't. You asleep? You all want under trial. For when he has stood the test, he or she will receive the crown of life 
for God, which God has promised to those who love him. So what is this telling us? That we will have trials, we will have difficulties, but that we're called to pursue blessing in the midst of that, that God promised us blessings in the midst of it. So I want to read to you the, I think, third or fourth verse of Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousands beside. Who can sing? Let's just sing this chorus together. Who can start it all? Great is thy faithfulness. As stress comes and trials and temptations, we need to pursue that positivity that God is for us, not against us. We need to pursue wisdom, wisdom that is not just to get us out of a problem, but pursuing wisdom that will guide us into following God's will for our lives, not ours. We need to pursue humility and realize that everything we have is God's and pursuing things of this world will end up rusting and dying off and there's no joy found there. But ultimately, we pursue blessing, which I think ultimately is the presence of the Lord. Amidst the trial, amidst the difficulty, The blessings from God is his presence. That is the most important part, the presence of God. He can hold you fast and still. Like the song says, pardon for sin and a peace that endurance, thine own dear presence to cheer and to God. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine and ten thousands beside. Church, as we get ready to take communion, I want to ask you to pursue God's blessing and his presence here at the table. Would you all please stand? Pursuing God's blessing at the communion table means that believing that he died for us, that he, he, he transferred his life into ours, gave us his righteousness, we gave him all of our sinfulness, that we come to this table in hope and trust during the storm, that we come in and trusting in him in faith that he gives us. For some uh, on our way, it'll be an opportunity to give of our tithes and offerings, which really tells us that our money is not our own, that it is his, and we want to give him of our first fruits.
and not just hoard like it's so tempting to do and pursue his blessing as we trust in him for our salvation, for our sanctification, and ultimately in heaven, our glorification. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to this table, I pray that we would come boldly. Lord, if there are some here that need to reconcile relationships, Lord, I pray uh, if they haven't done all that they can do, Lord, that they would reconcile first. Lord, I pray that we would give joyfully as unto you of our first fruits. And Lord, that we would uh, just come and experience the presence of God. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Please come.